I've made mention before that I grew up in San Jose, California, and Santa Cruz was just about a half-hour drive away. And we would go to the beach. We loved going to the beach. Uh, and um, uh, Black's Beach and Twin Lakes Beach were the, kind of our hangout place. That's where we went and, and uh, enjoyed being out in the surf. So I would go out in the surf, and I'd do a little bit of body surfing, a little bit of wakeboard stuff. And, and um, you, you may have heard of riptides before, right? Those riptides, you always have to be aware of them, how they rush you out into the ocean. Well, there's also something called longshore current. And because of the angle of the waves as, it, as they approach the land, it actually creates a current that's parallel to the beach. And so we'd be out there, and we'd be out there enjoying the waves and having a great time. And if we looked at each other, we didn't feel like we moved at all. We, we could just enjoy being out in the water together. And then all of a sudden, we would look up, and nothing on the beach looked familiar. <laughs> the current had moved us along parallel to the beach. It was so important that from time to time, we would look up and be able to get a reference point so we would know how far we had drifted and that we could return to where we were called to be, where, where we knew that we were supposed to be. Well, it turns out that it seems that faith itself has a current, that there's this current that can cause spiritual drift in our lives, in our relationships with God. And the thing about spiritual drift is that it can lead to spiritual apathy. If we're focusing on each other and we're just looking, we drift away from what God has called us to, we've developed this new pattern, this new sense of normal. In fact, we'll even bless it as the way we're supposed to be. We've ceased looking at the reference point. We just look at one another and think that our drift is the desired place. Well, in the book of Malachi, what we have discovered is that he identifies... God, through him, identifies the spiritual drift that was taking place in his time. And we've explored how that is so relevant for us today. And what then God provides through Malachi is spiritual drift can be met by real-world solutions. That God calls us and shows us how to, to be able to focus on the right reference point and correct the drift that we've experienced. Well, we're going to take a look at another uh, um, uh, piece of of uh, calling that God has for us, another reference point this morning in our time. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Malachi uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Hear the word of God. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you 
so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God bless our time together too. God's perspective, that reference point, God's perspective on how we are to live. Well, in our passage, God's perspective first comes to us in verses 6 and 7. And he communicates three clear things to us. The first is this, I have loved you. Now, he doesn't use those words, but he says as much. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Listen, it's a, it's a connection to what he's already said in his uh, speaking through Malachi. He's already declared, I have loved you. And he says here, I have been faithful all the way through this time. Maybe we, we already know what this feels like. Especially if we're younger. You, you know that that feeling when mom or dad comes to the door in, of your room and they say something like, uh, now you need to know and remember, I love you. But then you just wait for what comes next. It's like, okay, yeah, right. right. And I, in fact, even when I talk to my adult children over the phone now and, and I say something, well, you, you know how much your, your mom and I love you. And you can feel the defensiveness just through the, the phone itself as they get ready to hear whatever comes next. And this is God saying to us, I have loved you. I, the Lord, do not change. It's not so much an issue about uh, a specific kind of esoteric aspect of God, uh, but it's more about his constancy, that God is faithful, and that we can trust him that when he says he loves, when he's going to keep a covenant, that he is the supreme covenant keeper. In essence, he's saying, you kids try my patience every day, but I still claim you as my own. The next thing he says is this. He says, you disobey me. You have disobeyed me. I have loved you. You have disobeyed me. For generations, you have disobeyed me. You haven't kept my statues. In fact, he, he, he puts it this way. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. A bunch of rebellious kids. And, and not in that fun-loving, comical way that we like to see in, in cartoons and, and, and in film, how these kids, you know, kids will be kids. They go off and do these wild adventures. But it's not an issue of kids being kids when it's God. Uh, uh, that's in the relationship when God is God. And so the third thing he tells us from his perspective is, return to me, and I will return to you. Such significant words. Return to me, and I will return to you. Peter uh, Verhoff, in his commentary, calls this returning, this mutual returning, in fact, the word means uh, repentance, that if we would repent, that God returns to us, this mutual returning, that it's the essence of the relationship that we have with God. There's a, a 
a resource that I share with couples, uh, um, not just when couples are having a hard time, but, uh, uh, but also just any couple that wants to invest in their, in their marriage with each other. It's a book by John Gottman and Nan Silver. Uh, and they write not necessarily from a Christian perspective, uh, based on research, and they provide these incredible practices. The book is called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Very early on in the book, they make this statement. The success or failure of a, re- of a couple's repair attempts is one of the primary factors in whether their marriage flourishes or flounders. And again, what determines the success of their repair attempts is the strength of their mutual friendship. Do you get that? That, that idea when it says uh, repair attempts, it's that returning, that in marriage, that if there's a couple, that, that the couple that has a way of turning toward each other, of returning to one another, um, that that ability to return to one another uh, can be indicative of whether they're relationship flourishes or flounders and that undergirding their ability to return to each other is the strength of the friendship that they share with each other you know we know from scripture that god uses the marriage relationship to describe his relationship with his people with his church uh, the the bride and the bridegroom and that in this relationship, it's a, it's a returning one to another. That, that in our um, uh, choosing to go against God, to, to drift from God's best for our lives. That God calls us back to his reference point, that we would return. As many of you know, that during the pandemic, Vicki and I uh, made that decision one night. Um, you know what we need in the midst of all that we're doing? We need a puppy. <laughs> Um, that didn't go so well. Praise God we found a better home for him, and he's thriving. We get pictures, we get updates from the family. He's doing way better with this new family. One of the things we learned, though, in the midst of having Whitby in our house is that, you know, we had looked at some videos, we had read a little bit about it, and they say that one of the hardest uh, things to teach a dog is the come here command, the, the return to me command. That, that there is something about being far off and all the other distractions. And you have to convince the dog that it is better to focus on you, that there's a, a better reward to, to focus on you than, than on anything else. And that no matter where the dog is, that that, that dog could be called back to you when you say, come here. And so in this teaching of, of this repair, this, this idea of friendship, what God has done for us, is that he has given us Jesus Christ who said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. He said that no greater love as this than one would lay down his life for another, that, that we're friends of Jesus, the, the people for whom he's laid down his life. And the strength of that friendship pours into our ability then to repair. We, we don't repair just out of duty, but we repair because of friendship. Return to me, and I will return to you. God's perspective, God's perspective. I have loved you, you have disobeyed me. Return to me, and I will return to you. So what's our human perspective? Well, through the lens of Malachi, this is what it is. Who? Us? What? Do, do we need to return? Uh, 
we're not even aware of how far we've drifted. Consider, I would imagine in this list of uh, things that we confront in our culture that maybe most of us have reached some kind of opinion or have developed some kind of a response to it. As we go through this list, maybe we might picture Jesus sitting at the kitchen table with us, speaking into the positions we've taken, to the responses we've adopted on each of these issues. And, and as we think about Jesus speaking to us uh, about our response, maybe about our spiritual drift, let's remember that Jesus was a, a, a Hebrew, uh, born in the Middle East, and skin color probably different than many of our skin color. And, and, and he was completely sold out to God. He didn't represent a political party. He, he wasn't caught up in those things. So as he speaks to us about these things, we might be aware of maybe just a little bit of the possibility of drift in our lives. What might Jesus just say to us about issues like racial injustice? about the position we've taken or about the response that we've shown in our life? What might he say about our, our um, positions and response in terms of national pride or, or America first, knowing that his, his children live in all nations? What might he say to us about our thoughts on in our response to immigrants and immigration? Not a national policy, but our own personal or the work of the church. What might he say about adequate wages and wealth gap? Or about violence and guns and violence against women and wars? What might he say about the stuff that we usually throw out in church? Stuff like slander and lust and pornography and consumerism and envy and anger and gluttony. We think about that. What might Jesus say to us in the midst of it? You know, when we're all out there bobbing in the water together and we look at each other, we can think that, boy, right where we are is right where God would have us be. And then he calls back up and he says, look at the reference point. Look, the drift takes place. Do we know the heart of God, you know, from our human perspective, as a result of our spiritual drift? We look at each other and we think, we're good. It's all good. Well, to prove his point, God provides through Malachi an example. And this week's example is uh, the issue of giving and generosity. Here's God's perspective. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? Of course, how can humans rob God? And of course, the, the question's asked in a way of, well, nobody robs God, and then he makes it very personal. And yet, you are robbing me. From a human perspective, they respond back, How have we robbed you? We don't even understand. We're not aware of the drift. And so God provides an explanation. He says, take a look at your tithes and offerings. Your tithes and offerings. Tithing, if we, if we had more time, we'd go back in the Old Testament and understand how tithing was established for God's people during the time of Moses. It existed even before then. Other nations around the people of God were using tithing as a, as, as a, a tool in their uh, cultures as well. And and, and the tithing was to go to support the Levites and uh, the priests and the work of the temple. And people were to bring their tithe in. And, and yet now in this time, in the time of Malachi, they're not. And the priests are going hungry and the work of the temple is not taking place. 
So God says to them, he says, listen, return. I'm the reference point. Look at me. You've drifted. Look at me. And he says to them, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring a tenth of all that you have. Bring a tenth of all that you've earned. Bring a tenth of your fruit and bring it to me and thereby put me to the test. You know, it's interesting. I've over uh, the course of my own walk with God, it's, I always find this whole thing of, you know, are we allowed to test God? And, 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 but God says here we can put him to a test. There's a real difference when we uh, approach God saying, God, we're going to test you, <laughs> and when God invites us to test. One, one is an invitation. The other is an act of arrogance. Like, God, you better measure up. You know, <laughs> we're going to hold you accountable. Uh, and here it's an invitation. God says, listen, in this situation, Put me to the test. And here's what he promises. I will open the windows of heaven and pour down blessing. I'll make sure it rains when you need rain. Until you have the full of the rain that you need. I will rebuke the devourer. What a great thing. What does your God do for you? Well, he rebukes the devourer. That's what he does. Um, so this is because in a times of drought, the locusts would uh, uh, accumulate in the soil, this, the eggs and all. And then when the rains would come, it would essentially activate the locusts. And they would go to, uh, go to town on the crops. And what the passage is saying is that God will open up the heavens, it'll rain. And then he'll take care of the, the locusts that come up and they won't uh, devour the crops. Your vine shall not fail to produce and all the nations will call you blessed. Which is a reference to um, what God had said to Abraham so long ago, where he said, listen, I'm going to bless you, and your family's going to be a blessing, and all the nations will be blessed through you. God's explanation. From God's perspective, you've drifted. You, you, you think there's a way of giving that you're doing it the way that's appropriate, and, and, and yet you've drifted, and you're not giving me what you're called to give me, let me call you back to the reference point and just watch what I'll do for you. Return to me and I'll return to you. Well, what does this have to do with us today? You know, when we think about God's perspective on giving today, we're no longer under the Mosaic law. That Jesus, when he came in this world, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And in him, the law of Moses is fulfilled. And yet now we live under the law of Christ. And so when we look at teachings about tithing and, and, you know, just kind of these legal measurements, we're called to so much more under the law of Christ. So let's take a quick look. We've done it recently, so we don't need to spend too much time on it. But let's take a quick look at God's perspective as our reference point. Just to my, we might examine how much spiritual drift has taken place in our lives. Let's first look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Here's what the passage says. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, the brothers and sisters, the, the fellow followers of Jesus Christ. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, we live in a time where uh, there's global communication, instant global communication. And we know that whether it's a community in Mexico or in India or 
Afghanistan, a, a, a gathering of Christians, that there are brothers and sisters, and we're being called out from God's perspective. Do, do you get God's perspective that if we have material goods and we see a brother or sister in need, how are we responding to that? Have we drifted and just written it all the way off? You know, it's, it's just too big of a thing to deal with, and who can really take care of all that anyways? And we drift. We can also look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Paul writes to Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up, for, uh, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. We've talked about it before, about how uh, in, on a world scale, so many of us, even in our own congregation, are considered the wealthy of the wealthiest on a world scale. It's interesting. I, I find this phenomenon taking place uh, among people. It's possible, take a look at this chart. So it's possible to be rich and feel rich. Like, you know, you know you've got a lot to share. And you just feel it. You just, you have such an abundance, you're aware of it, and you go, I can't wait to splash some of this on other people. It's possible to be rich and yet feel poor. Maybe we've over-positioned uh, ourselves. Maybe we have a little bit too much debt, and, and we have all these things, and, and on world scale, we look, we look rich, but we just feel the weight of our expenditures. Or, or maybe we measure ourselves against what we don't have yet. And so even though on a world scale we can feel, uh, we know that we're, we're rich, but, but we would like to do that one more trip. Or we'd like to go to this school and not that school. Or, or we'd like to have this thing. Or if we can just buy the next thing. And even though we're rich, we can feel poor out of a sense of scarcity. We can be poor and feel poor. And we can be poor and feel rich. And maybe you've experienced that before. We've talked about it on our mission trips where we go down and we're hanging out with people that are in a different level of poverty than we are and yet the generosity, the richness that we get from them is overwhelming. And God calls us that we would be uh, abundant in good works and generosity. Maybe one more thing to look at is Luke 16, 13. We can't serve two masters. We are either going to serve God or serve money. And it's that call, have you drifted? H have we drifted? Have we moved down the road? Are we in a different place spiritually where we have somehow said it's normal to serve God and money? Where we put so much priority on our investments and in our financial security and, and we've just shifted. And so again, if Jesus were to sit down with us at our kitchen table and, and Jesus were to talk to us about the habits and patterns of our spending, what would he celebrate? What would he say? Look what you did. I love that. It just reveals a heart that is after God's heart. What might he scold? What might he say? Hey, listen, this, what's going on here, this is so not of God. Please don't look to others and see if they approve of it. This is just not of God. Is there something then that he might challenge us toward? Might, might he look at our, our choices and our patterns and go, 
I'm going to call you out. I want to call you forward. I want to call you into the deeper waters of generosity. You know, you've been at this percentage of giving away to God's work for so many years. What if you just moved up? You know, you've only been casual about this. What What if you were more consistent about it? What might he challenge us to? You know, you've been focusing on these things. What if you were to focus on these things? You know, from our human perspective, if that's God's perspective, our human uh, perspective, we look at um, uh, uh, things that these would be common currents that cause us to drift. It, the ideas of it's my money or I give more than many or, or God doesn't want me to be poor. God wants me to be happy. And these, these thoughts that we kick around cause us to drift. But if we stop looking at our friends, if we stop looking at our cohorts, and maybe if we look at the heart of God, get that reference point, because then we'll find again God's perspective. Return to me, and I will return to you. We've had these practices we've been talking about, these six practices that each week we've looked at. If this is true about the people, what can we do to shift and to go in a new direction? And so for this week, the practice of give generously. In the Bible, we, we look at different passages, and to give generously would be to give cheerfully to give cheerfully. Second uh, Corinthians 9, 7, decide in your heart what, what you're going to give and, and give, and, and God loves the cheerful giver. He loves it when our hearts are aligned with it. The second thing is that we would give sacrificially. To give generously is to give sacrificially, not just out of our abundance, but, but even out of some of our necessities. To give sacrificially like the widow and her two mites, and, God, and Jesus said, look at that. That's awesome to give cheerfully, to give sacrificially, to give worshipfully. That this is about putting God first. When I was younger and I would go swimming in Santa Cruz, it didn't matter how cold the water was. In fact, I would go in and I'd have to come out every now and then because our lips would turn blue. I didn't care. We wanted to be in the water. It didn't matter how much sand there was. And sand would get everywhere, and it didn't matter. We, we just went out there, and it didn't matter that we would get pummeled by the waves. But now I show up to the beach, and I'm kind of crotchety. <laughs> I'm kind of like, oh, my gosh, the water's cold. <laughs> oh, there's sure a lot of sand. Ugh. You know, I, I probably don't want to get pummeled by the waves. And maybe that's where we've gotten to in our walk with God. He says, listen, I'm, I'm up here and you've drifted and please align yourself with me. And we just kind of go, ah, I'm kind of old. This is the way I've been doing it. I'll just keep doing it my way. And God calls us back. He says, open up your heart to generosity and see what I'm going to do in your midst. Open your heart to generosity. Reference your life according to my heart. Experience the fresh faith. I want for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God who doesn't give up on us. That that you haven't consumed us. That you're patient and you're faithful. And that you keep your covenant. And God, you know how we can drift in our walk with you. How we settle for things that have more to do with worldly ways than with your own heart. And so call us out. Call us out today, each one of us 
that in our stewardship of the resources you've given us, that we would indeed use them for your glory according to your perspective. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to establish a friendship with us that the world never knew before. But in Jesus Christ, God made flesh. You showed us your love. And so take these elements and set them aside for a special occurrence this morning that we would enjoy being present with you and you being present with us, being your people together around your table. We give you praise. And we come to you in the name of Christ, in his name.